preeclampsia is a condition of high blood pressure in pregnancy. And if they can control it in pregnancy, but they couldn't control mine. Mine was exceptionally high. And I was on the maximum dose of methodopa, which is um, the safest drug to use in uh, pregnancy. The eve of the naming ceremony, I had a pounding headache. I took paracetamol and it wouldn't go. So I went to my dad's room to sleep in a dark place. So I put, pulled the curtains and it was it still didn't go. So I said, I'll go to hospital to check it out the morning after the naming ceremony. The naming ceremony was afternoon. So I'll go to the hospital in the afternoon to check it out. He saw me and then he said, there's no chance of her surviving, but I'll try. <laughs> that was exactly what he said. Even if she survived, she'll be disabled for life. And he went in, he opened my skull. They didn't have um, laparoscopy operations then. He opened my skull, took out the cloth, and then put it back. He left a scar tissue, uh, which causes seizure every now and again, but I've not had one in the last um, 15 years. It happened on the 7th of um, December. So they let me out Christmas time, and they brought me back in. And I was in till end of January, so I, I, before I left hospital, I could not talk. I could not use my right hand, but I was moving. I, I, I was moving slightly. I was walking. So um, that was quite easy for me. So when I went back home, I was going daily to a physiotherapy center. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and welcome to the fourth season of Stroke Stories. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll feature two survivors. First, Funmi Lawal from London, who suffered a stroke at the age of 35. I was born here, and then at three years old, they took me back to Nigeria, my parents. I didn't come back until I finished my degree. I came here and then I, I studied at LSC. I worked in the civil service for 10 years, and then I relocated to join my husband in Dubai for another five years. He was a lecturer in Ajman University, so we lived in Dubai for five years and it was only because I had a stroke that we didn't go back. I was working with um, Ogaka Systems, which is a UK company, but headquarters in Germany. So, and then I came back and I had a stroke and I, we couldn't go back again. Preeclampsia is a condition of high blood pressure in pregnancy. And if they can control it in pregnancy, but they couldn't control mine. Mine was exceptionally high. And I was on the maximum dose of methodopa, which is um, the safest drug to use in uh, pregnancy. So the eve of the naming ceremony, we name children eight days. You don't know the name until eight days and they send the name from your father-in-law, which is the tradition. The eve of the naming ceremony, I had a pounding headache. I took paracetamol and it wouldn't go. So I went to my dad's room to sleep in a dark place. So I put, pulled the curtains and it, was, it still didn't go. So I said, I'll go to hospital to check it out the morning after the naming ceremony. The naming ceremony was afternoon. So I'll go to the hospital in the afternoon to check it out. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the afternoon. The headache woke me up and it was banging headache. It was like headache, like super banging. So the next thing I knew, I was down. I didn't even know it was a stroke. I was down. I couldn't stand up. And the next thing I knew, I was gone. The next 24 hours, I was told, 
what happened. I wasn't there. I, and they took me to St. Thomas's Hospital. It was a weekend. It was Friday stroke Saturday morning. By this time, it was morning Saturday. So they couldn't find a surgeon to operate on me. So they eventually found one in Wimbledon, Akinsimoli. And fortunately for me, the guy was on secondment. So he was leaving that same day to go to back to America. He saw me and then he said, there's no chance of her surviving, but I'll try. <laughs> that was exactly what he said. Even if she survived, she'll be disabled for life. And he went in, he opened my skull. They didn't have um, laparoscopy operations then. He opened my skull, took out the cloth and then um, put it back. He left a scar tissue, uh, which causes seizure every now and again. But I've not had one in the last um, 15 years. Three days later, after I went back to, I was still unconscious, but I was in and out of consciousness. I went back to St. Thomas's, which was where I had the baby. They gave me a room. They gave me a court. And my mom said um, she'll keep the baby at home. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so my mom looked after her for one, one year and a half. And then I brought her to Edgeware. Funmi was in hospital for six weeks. It happened on the 7th of um, December. So they let me out Christmas time and they brought me back in. And I was in till end of January. So I, I, before I left hospital, I could not talk. I could not use my right hand, but I was moving. I, I, I was moving slightly. I was walking. So um, that was quite easy for me. So when I went back home, I was going daily to a physiotherapy center to learn to walk again to and speak therapy, to learn to speak again and um, occupational therapy to adapt the house to my height and everything. Um, I'm not completely there yet, but I've jumped loops and loops and everything. My speech is back. If it, uh, you can hear me talk clearly, but with a strong African accent. <laughs> I, before I had the stroke, I had, uh, uh, if I was talking, you couldn't tell it was British or not. But now I reverted to my mother tongue, which is um, quite um, embarrassing when they say, excuse me, what did you say? That's the speech part. Uh, the walking, um, I'm walking fine. You can't even tell which hand um, the stroke was if I squeeze you. Well, I could, could cannot write legibly anymore. I'll scribble. It's just got worse because of the most times I type. So it's just gotten worse and worse. <laughs> if I write something, even I can read my writing. <laughs> I was living in South London with my mom. And then when I moved to Edgware, it kind of stopped. And then um, I started another history in my life, dialysis. I started dialysis because the stroke, because of high blood pressure, it damages your kidneys. So I was on dialysis for one year, nine months. And then I got a transplant in 2011. Looking back, in five years, I've really, really jumped hoops because um, I was feeling anxious. I couldn't socialize. It knocked my confidence. If I'm in the midst of um, people, I panic. I have panic attacks. That's gone completely now. Since her stroke, Funmi set up her own business selling adaptive clip-on underwear called Clipniks. When I had the stroke, when I was recovering, I, I couldn't find anything on the market to help me with my recovery underwear-wise. I, I still needed to bend, and it was very painful bending. You know, my legs weren't that strong. I looked on the market, and there was nothing. So fast forward, I looked at it again 2018. Then I had an idea that wouldn't be 
be nice to just sit down and wear your underwear? Would it be nice if you just um, lie down and wear your underwear? So I, I was rolling those things, those ideas in my head. 2018, and then there came PPI money. <laughs> I didn't even know I had PPI. <laughs> so this PPI has been going on for three years, and then the started saying it will close, it will close, it will close. And then all of a sudden, I said, let me try. And then the first one came back, and then, uh-oh, I'm in for <laughs> a bonanza. So I used my PPI money to start clinics to help other people going through stroke, going through oppression, going through back pain. Everything is good for everything. So clinics is patented, meaning there's not anything like it in the world ever. And it's front fastening. So you can sit down and wear it. You can stand up and wear it. And you can lie down and wear it. So it's good for elderly people disabled people in wheelchairs, people that have bad back, people that um, have just been through operation for any reason, and pregnant women can use it. People in airplanes on long-haul flights, you can just stand up and change your underwear. The uh, toilets are very small and narrow. So uh, it's very useful. It's very, very useful. It's very innovative and um, empowering. Funmi is happy with the progress she's made. I feel good. I feel happy. It's the best place I've been since I had the stroke. I'm very, very happy with the progress I've made. The anxiety is gone. The panic attacks have gone. Having the support, I think support is very critical. My aunt came down from Nigeria and my mom was very supportive. My dad was very supportive. Everyone around me, I felt loved. I felt um, the... They didn't allow me to do anything so strenuous. They were taking the kids to school. My mom would take the kids to school. My dad would take the kids to My aunt would take the kids to school. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't go to the shops for about six years. I didn't even step into Sainsbury's or Asda. I didn't, I, everything was taken care of. So I felt very loved. I felt very cared for. It matters um, when you're around people that love you, you recover quickly. So I didn't have a problem on that side. I think the most important thing is to show love, to show support, show them the matter in your life. You don't want them to be injured or die. And for the stroke person, just take every day as it comes. Every day, take small steps in recovery, take small steps in, trust me, you will get there. And they were just sitting back and the pinky on my right side started to tingle. And I thought, oh goodness, what's this? And then the numbness started to go up my arm. So I'd had an epidural and I thought, oh, maybe it's a trapped nerve or something. No headache, nothing. My mum had died of a brain hemorrhage when she was 48. So I thought, oh goodness, is it that? No, I don't have a headache, so it can't be. So the, the numbness started to go up, it just, just travelled all over my right side of my body. Lots of people were there because they knew me and... I can't remember who it was that said, let's let's send you for a brain scan. And I went for my scan and they said it was a massive bleed that was really deep in my brain and there was nothing they could do to, to relieve the, the bleed. And it was just a waiting game. 
I always remember them telling you that you will get good recovery for the first three or four months and you will then plateau. That did happen, although it was not as quick as I wanted it to be, obviously. I just wanted everything to be back to normal. And it takes you such a long time to realise that you'll never be back to normal. Your normal is, is gone. I had lots of help from friends and colleagues and they, they did a rota to, to come and help me with you know, cleaning my, my bathroom and things like that, just to, just to keep in touch with me and just make sure that I was okay mentally. It took months, it was, it was about four months before I could get out with my pram. Our second guest is Susan Polland from Bathgate, who suffered a stroke at the age of 34. I was a midwife and that was really my passion. I lived for work more than anything. That was me going out with friends. A young person's life, I would say. I met my husband on a blind date. We got engaged quite quickly, had a baby very quickly after that. And my stroke was a few days after my son was born. So on 19th of December and the stroke was on Christmas Eve. We were going to register the, the birth. We checked with the registry office they were open so my husband and I and son got in the car and I remember just sitting back and the pinky on my right side started to tingle and I thought oh goodness what's this and then the numbness started to go up my arm so I'd had an epidural and I thought oh maybe it's a trapped nerve or something no headache nothing my mum had died of a brain hemorrhage when she was 48 so I thought oh goodness is it that no I don't have a headache so it can't be so the, the numbness started to go up just just travelled all over my right side of my body. I phoned the maternity unit again, just thinking it must be something to do with that. It can't be can't be what I think it is. So I just got my husband to just drive to the hospital. I still remember him like skipping red lights and everything, and just going really fast to try and get us there. I was taken to the maternity unit. Lots of people were there because because they knew me, and I can't remember who it was had said let's let's send you for a brain scan, and I went for my scan and. They said it was a massive bleed that was really deep in my brain and there was nothing they could do to, to relieve the, the bleed and it was just a waiting game. I had a great pregnancy. I wasn't sick. My blood pressure was fine. Everything was fine, which kind of just kept thinking this is too good to be true. Delivery was fine. But I always remember when I was pushing, I remember I felt like something popped in my head. I remember saying it to my husband afterwards. We laugh about this, but he said to me when I was pushing, you better watch, you're going to burst a blood vessel. Like a, That's like a weird thing to say, but he said that. And we were laughing about it. But then when I look back, the few days after I had him, I don't really remember much of it. So I've always asked, like, could it have been a bleed then? And then I've just got in the car that day and somehow, like, disrupted it the doctors have always said no no there's no way that could have happened but it's always been there in my, in my mind so they've just always put it down to a one-off high blood pressure that ruptured something susan found it difficult saying goodbye to her old self i always remember them telling you that you will get good recovery for the first three or four months and you will then plateau that did happen although it was not as quick as I wanted it to be obviously I just wanted everything to be back to normal and it takes you such a long time to realize that you'll never be back to normal your normal is, is gone and I think that's one thing that they don't tell you about <clears throat> is you almost have to grieve that old that person that you were you'll never be that person again ever but that's not to say that you won't be a better person so or, or your life won't be better 
I couldn't walk or anything. I, I couldn't go to the toilet myself. I couldn't do anything. So I was at home and had lots of help from friends and colleagues. And they, they did a rota to, to come and help me with you know, cleaning my, my bathroom and things like that, just to, just to keep in touch with me and just make sure that I was okay mentally. It took months. It was, it was about four months before I could get out with my pram and you walk around the block kind of thing. And that was a massive achievement. All not of the pram was, was good for me. It was the best thing that I still remember just feeling the fresh air and thinking, wow, it's actually happening. I'm actually managing to to walk my baby in his pram. Um, but that was about four months. So it was very difficult. It was probably about five months before I could move my arm. So I had, you know, I had a, a splint, I had a, you know, walking aids, I had lots of physio and things. But I think just even things like changing a nappy with one hand, that was a skill that I managed to achieve quite quickly. And then after that, sort of the four or five months, I just, I did, I definitely plateaued, but you just get used to it. So, you know, I, I still have a limp. I still don't have great feeling in my right side. My hand doesn't work, but you just adjust and get get by and make it, you know, everybody makes adjustments, don't they? But you just have to try and keep going. The biggest thing I learned was saying goodbye to the old Susan. Nobody tells you that. Nobody gives you that advice. The people that are around you, all the health professionals, it's the, the biggest thing that you have to do. And once you've done that, you can start to move on and try and make your life better. Susan also wanted to return to work as soon as possible. It was a very difficult thing. I didn't think it would be that hard, to be honest with you. So it was about 18 months down the line. Carrie had kind of said to me, right, Cohen, I think we need to start thinking about what are you going to do if you go back to work and how can you work as a midwife with basically one arm that doesn't work. I got to go to an area that was less busy, so a clinic area, which was, was just basically kind of walking up and down and doing, you know, doing very basic things as a midwife. So I felt that was easier for me, not just physically, but mentally as well, because people didn't expect me to ever come back from that. So I didn't want to be bombarded with, oh my goodness, she's back. What could you do? What could you not do? That kind of thing. So it was, it was really good. And the person there that was the charge midwife was excellent and everybody was really helpful. I worked four hours a day and I used to come home and just, you know, fall asleep. So everybody talks about fatigue. And you, you never knew what that word meant before I had my stroke, but very fatigued. And it took a lot out of me mentally and physically again. I was then being asked to go to another area because I was told that there wasn't a job for me in the in the clinic. That was that was just a temporary thing to support me back to work. And then I was going to get moved to another area, which I really thought I couldn't do. I'd never done it before. And it was much more demanding for various reasons. And, and it was in a, a much busier area. So I had a return to work interview. I said, right, OK, I'll do it. I'll do the eight hours. And so... I just because I'm very stubborn as well, but I thought, you know, I, I, you can't take this away from me. It's, it's, it's the thing that I've worked so hard to come back to. And it was a job that I loved. I went to the, the area they were trying to move me to and I actually enjoyed it. And fast forward a few years, the area that I am in, I'm now the, the line manager. So I'm the charge midwife now. So I've, I've achieved a lot <laughs> with perseverance and stubbornness and just just try to stick up for myself and stick up for the, the underdog kind of thing and just have a voice and say, Joe, this is not okay. We need to support people. 
I'll never work in a labour ward again. I can't deliver babies safely. We need to have somebody kind of helping me with that. It's more of a kind of managerial side thing, managing a, a ward area and obviously still seeing patients and still, still getting that contact. I work with a limp. I've got a thing that I use to functional electrical stimulation to help me with my drop foot. I use a stick if I'm walking any kind of distance and my, my arm, I have gross motor movement in my arm, but I don't have any fine motor movement, so that's difficult for me to, to do anything. It's a bit like going about with a, an oven glove on your hand. <laughs> you can't do anything that, that's that useful, but I've just adjusted. Yeah, it, it's just me now. My arm doesn't do much, but... The way that I've always seen it is, I think because my mum never, never survived hers, that I feel like I'm getting the chance to to do all of the things that she never got to do. So every day that I, I get that I'm here, I'm I'm quite I'm happy that I'm here, and I think I just you have to make most of it. And I know, I know nobody can be like positive all of the time, but it's it's something that just keep, that drives me. I think just keeps me going. Susan thinks her stroke has had a positive impact on her relationships with her husband James and son Nathan. We had all of the time in the world together. I didn't go anywhere. You know, you think you're going to go out for lunch with the girls and show off your baby and all that kind of thing. That never happened. So we, we were in the house a lot, like most of the time, the majority of the time, because everywhere you went, it was always a big rigmarole with the baby and, and me. So we have a great, great relationship. We've got we're a very close bond. He's a great boy. Because my husband and I had like literally just met when we, we got you know, we got together, we got engaged, and then you know, five months later I think I was pregnant. So the life that we had was was quite brief, the the pre-stroke relationship. But he's been amazing as well. He's just I think a lot of people would have just probably run for the hills after what happened. But he's a very dedicated family man as well so the three of us have got a really strong bond we bounce off each other and we support each other so it's been and I think that's the bit about this having the stroke that I didn't think about but I think when I think about what I would have been like if I hadn't had the stroke then I probably would have been back at work a lot quicker knowing me beforehand I would have probably taken just six months off and then gone back to work and in a weird way, it's affected the relationship in a very positive way. I've got two bits of advice. One of them, so I used to be right-handed and I became left-handed and all of the, all of the things that you get shown with physio was to try and move that hand that's not moving. But I say, scrap that just now. <laughs> At the start, just try and function with this good hand. Just do the things that you need to do with the the hand that works and, and adjust to that. So, you know, like for me, become left-handed, master that, and then you can concentrate on the weaker side. And then I think the other thing is just the expectation is you you, you you will try and strive to be that person that you used to be, but just you have to just realise that you have to say goodbye to that person. You have to grieve that person. It's not, you will never be that person again. And that's not a bad thing. There's bits of my life that I look back and I go, I wish I could do that. I wish I could wear high heels. I wish I could go for a bike ride. I wish I could do this. I can't do any of those things, but there's so many other things that I do with my life that that, that are really meaningful. So, yeah, I think you just try and you have to just accept that life will be different. It's a new start almost. It's time to just kind of start again and make the most of your life. You will always have setbacks without a doubt. There's, you know, there's some days where I'm not happy and I'm not saying that I'm grateful and, and blessed and all that, but not very often. So yeah, just, just trying to say goodbye to the old you 
and concentrate on the you that, that you can reinvent and you can you can make the most of it. Both Funmi and Susan suffered strokes shortly after giving birth, and they've both made remarkable recoveries, as well as worked hard to create a successful and fulfilling life for them and their families. Thank you for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do recommend the podcast to anybody you think it could help. And if you have time to rate and comment on the episodes you hear, that would be great. It helps us spread the word. And if you are a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. They're always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listening.